Welcome to Culture Bites, where we take culture theory and turn it into everyday insights. We're powered by Human Synergistics, and our mission is to change the world one organization at a time. We can only do that together with our amazing community, so thank you for listening. Welcome to Culture Bites. My name's Dominic Gawley. I'm a consultant with Human Synergistics Australia, and I'm joined on the show this week by Corinne Cantor. Hey, Corinne. Hi, Dom. How are you? Good. Corinne. We've talked a Don't. lot about culture on the show, mm. conceptually and so on. And we've talked about how we measure it. It's sort of what we're famous for. But we've got a lot of questions like, what do we actually measure? Mm. How does it work? Kind of those practical kind of questions. So I wanted to put you in the hot seat and fire them at you today. How does that sound? Great. I think. Not sure about the hot seat <laughs> bit. I haven't sold it, have I? <laughs> hey, first question off the bat. Mm. What do we mean? when we say we measure culture? Like, mm. what is that that we're actually measuring? Mm. Good question, and because there's a lot of confusion around this about mm. the difference between engagement and culture. So the first thing is that they're very different. Measuring engagement doesn't give you a read on culture. If I had to simplify it to its most basic element, I would say when you're measuring culture, you're measuring a behaviour, okay, the expectations around behaviour. Mm. What am I meant to do to fit in? Mm. When you're measuring engagement, you're asking people for their opinions, their feelings and their thoughts about, you know, how often we communicate, Uh. how satisfied are you with the amount of training that you get. Uh. So very different behavior versus perception. Okay. And so when we do a culture survey, what's the question or questions we're trying to answer? Yeah, there are five things that I think organizations want to know when they do culture. The first is what kind of culture do I need? So what does that look like? Okay. What's the ideal for this business, for this organization? Uh Second culture is what does it look like now? So the first question is what's the future state? Second question is what's the current state? Where are we at? Where are we at right now? Third question is what impact is it having on our organization? And when we talk about impact, we talk about the outcomes that are being shaped by culture, individual level, teams, and the whole organization. Oh. So an example of individual outcome would be, how does our culture shape motivation of individuals? Oh. Okay. A team example would be, how does the culture shape the degree of cooperation, collaboration? Oh. For organizational, it'll be, how does the culture help us adapt? Okay. Oh. How does the culture help us do change, Uh, okay, because the culture will slow an organization down or it will help it be more responsive. uh, So that's how does it impact. The fourth question is why is our culture like that? Okay. What's the root cause? So if the ideal is different from the actual, why? Correct. And, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing a lot recently, two examples where this is coming into play, everyday examples, I've got a lot of clients who are saying, We uh, have implemented agile working, Uh. but it doesn't seem to have stuck Uh and it's not getting traction. Uh. That's a classic question for culture to answer. Okay. Uh. So the question is, we want to create agile working, but it's not actually translating into everyday action. Why? What's the disconnect? So that's one of the things that we could look at. The other classic example is, We're really wanting everybody to work as one team, Uh. but we're still seeing silos. Okay. So that's another example where you'd use a culture survey to answer that question. Uh. Okay. So 
that's around why have we got the culture we've got, to understand the difference between what we want and what we've got. And then the fifth question is, what do we do about it? Okay. Crucial. <laughs> how do we yeah. change how it? How do we change it? That's right. You know, you're asking this information. You don't want, you don't just want data, you want insight, you know, and you want insight so that you can do something with it. Mm. So we do something with it. We change those things and how we're sending the message about culture, yeah. change the culture, change the outcomes, impacts the business, right? Yeah. We're here to achieve stuff. And I think just last point on that, Dom, the model that we've used, we've talked about how culture works model, it's cause and effect. So in an environment where mm. organizations have very little control on the external environment, you have control on culture. It is an input. It is something that you can design. So those five questions and getting a measure like this can really help you consciously and intentionally design the kind of culture that will support your people as well as the organisation. So how does it work? Would you survey everyone? You've got some choices. So obviously, if you survey everyone, that gives you kind of the best, the tightest kind of understanding. But you could also do a sample. Now, the trick with the sample is you want to get a 25% of the population, but it's got to be stratified. So you can't just have 25% all across. Each team, each unit in the business has to be, be represented. represented. Mm -hmm. So what we would typically do is you could do a sample, but you'd probably sample like a 40% in order to be able to get that 25%. And you'd oh. have to make sure that it was a stratified sample and we would help you with that. What would you recommend between the full or the sample? Oh, look, the full's always going to be the better mm. measure, you mm. know, and I would say that if you're doing it because you're needing to measure culture because you're transforming, you are, you know, it's in effort, it's in order to try and support the strategy and you've got some change goals, then it serves you to do a whole population mm. because if you survey everyone, everyone can then own it and that's going to be important to the change. So, you know, that if you can do it, that's the best way to go. Yep. But you've got some choices where that's concerned. One thing people ask, Corinne, is how long is the survey? Yeah. Because it's longer than some other yep. engagement surveys, which are a different beast and we can touch on that. We kind of have already. How long is it What and why? Mm. What's your you can expect probably to spend about 40 minutes in terms of answering the questions. And I know that that's longer. We've gotten into this cult of action, you know, answering three questions or five questions. Oh. And so for some organizations, the eyebrows go up when they hear that. Look, what I would say about it is that it's the insight that you're going to get from it is actually very detailed and it, it's about getting to the bottom of what's driving the culture and you're going to get very specific data on what to do to mm. create change. You don't do this every quarter. You're going to mm. do it every 18 months to two years. And so in that context, 40 minutes is not a lot of time mm. for people to really feel like they've really been heard. And I think when you position it that way, we don't really have any issues because the insight that you get from the depth of the information is so rich. Uh, what about the other one that comes up often is confidentiality? Yeah, yeah. You know, is the boss going to see my response? Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, it is completely, it's confidential and people can rest assured that their data is not identified. And there's a couple of things that we do to protect that confidentiality. 
One thing is it's all administered by human synergistics Mm. and so it's not going to be touched or accessed by the organisation itself. We also have demographics. So in the demographics, people always have the option to say prefer not to respond if they're worried about Mm. the confidentiality. But one of the things that we also do is we never produce a report with less than five people as the sample group, and that's specifically to protect confidentiality so that people can't be identified. So you can't do the the male between this age and that age and this department with blah, blah, blah. Cool and There's Dominic. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay. That's right. Makes sense. Got it. On that, I guess, speaking of demographics, how does it work as far as reporting goes? What would your suggestion be for what people are doing there? Yeah, look, I think one of the things to do, it's important to get the planning right. And one of the things that I recommend for anybody who's about to do a culture survey is to sit down and think about what data do you want to see? Okay, so if you think about the groups that you want to see culture data on, who are they? So the most popular choices, if I can put it that way, is organisations typically will want to see the whole organization's culture data. Okay, what's it look like at the enterprise level? Mm -hmm. And then typically they'll want reports for divisions or business units. And if it's a large business unit, they'll want uh, functions. And sometimes if it's super large, like, you know, tens of thousands of employees, you can go down to work teams. Ultimately, it's it's the client's choice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can ask for reports right down to groups of five. What we would say is that sometimes, you know, especially once leaders get the taste for data, they'll ask for a lot of different reports. Now, the question for the client to think about is which data is useful, how far down? And just because I can get a report of, you know, a sample of five doesn't mean that it's really substantially going to change the action planning. And so I would say let that guide you in terms of where does the action planning where um, make sense? Do Where's it? the yeah. value, you know? And so very often every team might want to see their little subgroup team, but it's not really substantially going to change the actions that they take at the departmental level. Mm-hmm. What about a issue that sometimes comes up with clients is they might have large outdoor workforces and they don't all have computer access? How does that work? Yeah. What we do is we have a number of tablets where the survey is already scanned. So what we would do is we build the survey for the client, the organisation, with their demographics in it so that it makes sense to the people who are doing it. And then we send out the tablets. And what works really well with outdoor staff or anybody on shift is to actually have what we call collection sessions. And that way, You bring people in a group, maybe it's just before they go, they clock on or just after they've clocked off and explain it, have them in the room. They use the tablet, they submit it then and there. Mm -hmm. We have, um, we've had hospitals where we've Mm. um, had given them the tablets and they've had the tablet at each floor at the nurse's station. Mm -hmm. So they work really well because it means that it's already loaded with the the data and all somebody has to do is just to click, click Click the the buttons. Yeah. And you're away. Beautiful. What about, you know, speaking of of getting those responses, how do you go about maximizing that response rate? Yeah, good question, Dom. It's really important that organizations really kind of wrap a program 
around this this diagnostic. The diagnostic's great, but to maximize it, you've really got to help people understand why you're doing it, you know, getting the CEO and the executive team on board so that they can promote it in terms of why we're doing it, why now, what's it's important. So there has to be a lot of communication to begin with just to help people understand the why and why it's important that they actually complete the survey because we want to hear what you have to say. And so that can be done in various ways. We have clients who've done it through town hall, virtual or um, physical, in person. The old-fashioned way. Town hall, the old-fashioned way. You can do emails. You can do, we've had, you know, we've had CEOs send out voice messages video messages. So there's a period where you're really kind of doing pre-launch communication, pre-survey launch communication. And that's super important. When the survey is live, which is usually 10 to 15 working days, you'll get updates from us around the progress of the response rate. And so you've got lots of time in between to kind of give that boost, you know, remind people. Mm -hmm. And um, we've had, you know, organizations put out posters or sort of socials within the organization itself to encourage that. And to, and to me, it's like walk the floor as leaders, encourage yeah. your leaders to yeah. get onto their teams and say, hey, guys, is everyone taking the time to fill it out? Exactly. And so, and you know, bring it up during team meetings and so on. So the mm-hmm. c- communication is really important before and as you're doing it. The other thing is it's really important is to have a plan around how you're going to debrief the results. So mm. one of the things I can't tell you how many times I've gone to an organization and you get people being cynical and a bit skeptical mm. because they never learn what's happened to the results. Right. And so it's super important that if you're going to ask your people to give you feedback that you go out and you let them know the results of the survey and the impact that it's going to make. The related question we get sometimes is, it takes so long to go communicate top down. Mm. So do the lead team and then you do each of the leaders and then, you you know, yes, it takes a very long time. What we started, you know, doing a few years ago and recommending to clients is that the, the lead team, the CEO could do a town hall or a video message where they just announce the high-level results across the whole organization and use that as an opportunity to kind of publish a program of debriefing. So what's going to happen, how you're going to hear about your business or your team, when that's likely to happen. So you satisfy the curiosity mm. and you're transparent about the high-level results. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that, that's really what people want to know. And then if you actually publish a bit of a timetable or next steps, that usually works really well, and then you've got some time to take it out to teams. So it's giving people some structure exactly. and sharing what we can. Yeah. You know, so high-level results, and if we've got actions at an overall level, yeah, put them in too. That's right, because sometimes I think if you've, got a, if you've had a defensive history, mm. uh, you know, culture where people are quite, you know, feel that the organizational culture is defensive, trust is going to be low. So if you take that approach, it's a way of kind of being transparent and it's evidence of commitment, Mm. you know, to the journey. Mm. And then I guess last question, you kind of mentioned it earlier, was retesting. Yeah. So like some of our other tools, like the LSI, people Mm. retest it after Mm. a a while. What would you recommend for culture? Yeah. 
I'm going to break that down a little bit. So we've got what we call a pulse survey, which is a bit different to other pulse surveys. So what you're going to get out of the doing the culture measure is you're, we're going to be able to help you identify the specific levers for change. Yep. And so if you turn that lever into an action plan, so for example, if the data says you've got a real issue with onboarding new starters, uh. that's recruitment and selection onboarding, then the action plan is actually about improving orientation and onboarding. We can pulse just that question. Okay, uh. so the pulse is going to pulse is about assessing whether your action plan is actually working. Right. Okay, on specific levers. On specific levers. ones you're really on working on. specific levers mm-hmm. that you're actually working on. So I would normally recommend doing that every six months yep. to make sure that when you do remeasure, so in terms of remeasuring 18 months to two years out, if you're a you know, smaller organisation, you could probably measure every year because uh-huh. your capacity to create change is faster. Mm-hmm. But I do a couple of pulses and then you know that when you come to remeasure, you've got a sense of how likely it is you know, that you're going to have seen a shift in the culture. You know we're on track. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Thanks for that, Corinne. Pleasure. That was the running summary. I love it. Thanks, Dom. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Bites. If you enjoy the show, remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, leave us a review. It helps other people to find the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer... Email podcast at human-synergistics.com.au. We'd love to answer it. This podcast is copyrighted by Human Synergistics Australia, all rights reserved. To learn more about what we do, visit human-synergistics.com.au. today's episode of Culture Bites, we talked about the How Culture Works model. The How Culture Works model is from the Organizational Culture Inventory and Organizational Effectiveness Inventory. The feedback report for these surveys and other culture change resources are copyrighted by Human Synergistics International. Research and development by Robert A. Cook and J. Clayton Lafferty, all rights reserved. Please contact us if you would like to review any of these resources for organizational change and development.